What's good, PMC fam? Thank you so much for joining us on this week to recap where we're going to talk some of the best players from this past week on the 1 through 5A levels, talk through scores, as well as the most prominent games and the contenders and whatnot. We're going to talk about those teams and some teams that definitely shined and some teams that played their first game, actually, as well as talking some middle school football. I am one of your hosts, Cody Stoffer. And I am actually going to pass the baton real quickly to my other co-host here, Simon Villanos, who has some sombering news to share and some kind words to share as well. Before we hit this um, second week recap here for Colorado football, just wanted to say a couple words here. So last Thursday is when it happened, but a good friend of mine and one of the best coaches in Colorado, in my opinion, if not the best coach in Colorado, uh, Johnny Grimaldo, Coach G, he passed away, unfortunately. He, um, he meant a lot. Not only to like the people around him, like myself, because I actually got to work with him. I was a PE teacher over at Falcon Middle, and then he was a security guard slash head wrestling coach over there. And so he was one of the first people I meet. And so um, personally, like he was a fantastic friend, somebody who I really looked up to as a mentor. And honestly, just a dude that, you know, I look at and I'm like, hey, more Colorado head coaches, more Colorado coaches need to be like Johnny here because he's just somebody who cared you know um he cared a lot super relatable funny dude uh (laughs) I remember each day you know whenever he sees me his go-to line is like young man how's it going or something like that and you know I'll I'll be real with him I was like hey is going good or is a little tough and you know teaching during COVID year um wasn't an easy thing at all there were plenty of lows a lot more lows than highs to be honest with you and it wasn't even close but Johnny he was just one of those dudes that you know when he came into the room you know you know you could kind of chill out a little bit because he's always a good time he was a funny dude just a nice dude to be around and you know at the end of the day He'll keep it real with you, and that's something that I uh, I personally really appreciated. And then as a coach as well, he kind of had that same attitude, you know. Um, he loved his kids. He loved his athletes. He really believed in them. He was a strong believer in making them into better men than athletes, or at least making them into better men first before becoming better athletes. And so that was his whole thing there, you know. He was all about doing the right thing, and unfortunately you know he he passed away last week and you know i know what he meant to the falcon community vista ridge community there are plenty of players that we've talked about that i've talked about on the show that have been coached by johnny for uh for a while you know they were coached by him back in middle school and he's somebody that means a lot to them and so um the community is hurting right now and so am i i'm not even gonna lie like i definitely at least cried uh one or two times on friday because that was just my guy man and he was a lot of people's guys as well he was just a good dude that you cared about because you know he cares about you and he's gonna go to the plate for you um whenever possible and so personally i believe we need more coaches like a johnny out here 
he's he's one of the goats, you know. And if uh, the Playmakers Corner had a Hall of Fame, he'd be one of the first ones, if not the first one, in there because you know he did a lot, not just for that community, but you know he also taught. Um, or coached, my bad, he also coached over at Coronado as well here in Colorado Springs and, you know, kind of helped build that program and whatnot before going to Falcon as well. And, you know, he was, I, I can't say enough, he was just a good dude. He was somebody that was a good dude and would keep it real with you, but he'd make other people into good dudes, into good young men and women, you know. He was he was about the life and he uh, he really looked out for the little guy as well, you know, being being a little guy himself, you know. But man had a lot of heart. And Johnny, Coach G, I'm gonna miss you, and um, well, I'll miss you. And so, just wanted to say a couple words there, you know, uh, Colorado and uh, everyone here. We'll, uh, we'll we'll miss you, man. So. Thank you so much, Simon, for sharing about Coach G and just what a great guy he sounds like he was. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely sad that I didn't get to meet him, but I'm really glad that he made such an impact in your life as well as many other athletes. So rest in peace, Coach G. So just a moment of silence real quick. All right, and coming up right after this break, we are going to talk some middle school football, and then I'm going to give an ESPN ticker tracker thing real quick uh, as far as scores go, and then talk, you know, the news from this weekend on the 1 through 5A level as well as Players of the Week coming up. Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am going to really briefly talk about Mason Austin and I went to the Colorado Junior Buffs game. It was at Gateway High School around 6 o'clock on Saturday. Just to do a quick synopsis of some things that happened there. And, well, it was not, uh, for a lack of a better word, it was not boring. Um... We, we went out there, and they were playing against the Park Hill Falcons, I believe. I think that they're a middle school team based out of Denver. And so the Buffs came out swinging uh, pretty strong. Trent Seaborn hit some passes down the sidelines as well as ran for a touchdown. So Trent was having a pretty good game as well as number five on the junior Buffs, who I believe is Kamari. He had a very strong game on the ground. He was good for, I want to say, like seven yards a carry or something like that. And then Trent was able to stretch the field down the sidelines. Micah Fleming actually mossed this one defender for a touchdown. And I believe heading into halftime, the junior buffs were up 20 to nothing or something like that. They scored three touchdowns in the first half, but then the game got called in the third quarter when things started to get a little messy. There was one play where they were trying to tackle this big number 91 for the Park Hill Falcons, by the way, who looked like a pretty decent combination of speed and size and was able to catch the football at the tight end position. So, you know, love to figure out who that is and get him on our radar looking forward to high school ball if he decides to play it because I think he could be pretty good. But anyways, back to the game itself. 
they were gang tackling him because this kid was a unit and during it you know the whistle was blown and some words were exchanged as football goes however the line was crossed i believe number eight on the junior buffs grabbed number 91's face mask and started to shake his head flags rained down refs rushed in players rushed in and the players had to be broken up and you know there was some definite definitely some shoving after the whistles and hats were hitting the ground and so there was about a 10 minute break where the game was pretty out of control i'm not gonna lie parents on the sideline were starting to get kind of active and on the very next play when play finally resumed the junior buffs let those same players back onto the field who were kind of a part of the problem on the previous play refs didn't make any ejections which i probably i disagree with that because if you have middle school players grabbing face masks or hitting late you just tell them to get out of there honestly and you don't allow them to be a part of that environment that is now growing hostile but you know the refs didn't do that and coaches didn't pull players and so on the very next play there is a super late hit i'm gonna say from a junior buffs defensive lineman and what do you know another big shoving match breaks out flags rain down parents now want to take off across the field and overall it was just a complete mess park hill coaches were doing their best to keep coaches keep uh, parents contained on the sidelines and whatnot but mason and i promptly left and the game was called shortly after the refs were actually leaving the field at the same time as us i don't think that they wanted to be a part of that environment and overall, that's not what football's about. You go out there and you let your pads do the talking. And yeah, I don't know. I, I was really disappointed with all parties involved with this middle school football game. And I really hope that something can be done to clean that up on both sidelines as well as on the ref's part for making the adjustments they need to make to get players out of there if they're not being conducive to the in-game environment very well. With all of that in mind, we are going to move to the 1A football level and talk about some of the more notable games from this past weekend. Starting on Thursday, we had a couple of matchups, and I'll really briefly go over the scores real quick of those games and then jump into highlights of those. So, to start off, Highland beat Bennett 26-6. Manual beat Prospect Ridge, I believe is 34-26. Jefferson then beat Pinnacle 40 to nothing. And really quickly on that Jefferson game, Donovan Gallegos or Gallegos, uh, once again, if I'm missaying any of the players' names, please come onto the show or just DM us and tell us how it's actually said. But Donovan had four interceptions for Jefferson against this Pinnacle team. And I just thought that that'd be something to bring up. Four interceptions for one player is just absurd. So. Congrats on a great game there and definitely an honorable mention for a 1A player of the week. Then continuing on, Wiggins beat Valley 45 to nothing. And Wiggins is an interesting team to look at here because Cole Kerr, who is their quarterback, is having a pretty solid year, I'd say. You know, in this game, he had five total touchdowns, three passing and two on the ground and 300 yards total between rushing and passing with only an interception. So... You know, Kolker is looking to probably push this Wiggins team a little bit deep into the playoffs, looking ahead. 
Then you had Mancos, who beat Dolores 61-0, as well as a pretty close matchup in Estes Park, beating Middle Park from Granby 46-34. Moving into Friday's games, you know, I'm definitely going to miss some games here, but Ray actually beat an out-of-state team in Goodland, who is from Kansas, 30 to nothing. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about how well Colorado teams have done against out-of-state competition lately, and if that really means all that much. Then Hollyoke, who has the two-star athlete in Miles Sprague, won 41 to 9. And, you know, that was a really big game. Miles Sprague had a, a great game. Rye, who just recently beat Manitou Springs, was struggling for the majority of this game and did not even score until five minutes left in the fourth quarter where Hollyoke is probably resting some of those starters. And I'll talk a little bit more about Sprague's performance as he is also a contender for player of the week heading into the rest of this schedule here. Then also on Friday, you had Trinidad lose to a New Mexico team from Rayton. 49 to 12 then Centauri who is one of our more prominent teams on this level won convincingly and has still put forward their best foot on being a contender on this 1A level by beating Colorado Springs Christian 47 to 0 so that was a great showing on Centauri's part and overall and as well on on this day is a very noticeable game here Strasburg actually Got their first win of the season against Yuma High School, 19-16. So, once again, if you haven't, by the way, listened to those Strasburg interviews. I believe that was episode 55 for the Landon Martin and Matthias Brown interview. And Landon had a pretty okay game going 4-5 for 24 yards. But, really, the story of this game here is that Zach... Marrero for Strasburg had 17 carries for 157 yards and a score. And Landon Martin also contributed on the ground with nine carries for 54 yards and two scores. So the running game for Strasburg was just too much for Yuma to overcome. And then obviously coming up on the defensive side of the ball and playing clutch where, you know, they were able to register a sack as well as get three pass deflections and recover a fumble. You know, this Strasbourg team was playing a bit more like the Strasbourg teams that we're used to and wanted to show that they are still a threat to be taken seriously on this 1A football level. Moving on to Saturday's games, I will let Simon fill us in on the Buena Vista versus Banning Lewis Academy game here in just a moment, but I do have to put some respect here on Flatirons Academy who came out with a 27-0 win against Platte Canyon, putting everyone on notice once again because they were one of the top teams last year on that 2A playoff level in the spring. And so I think that they are going to be a contender once again this year. And if you haven't, make sure to listen to that 1A preview where we talk about them just a little bit. And in the biggest thrashing in all of Colorado football this past week, it happened on the 1A level, and it happened with Florence, who beat Clear Creek 71-0. This was a great team effort with basically everyone getting their turns, scoring touchdowns through the ground, as well as defensively, and a little bit through the air as well. So it was an all-you-could-score buffet for Florence this week. 
That is definitely not a score to scoff at. If you're anyone else in the state, 71 to zero, that means that they mean business. And yeah, he, wow, 71 to zero. Good grief. Figure it out, um, Clear Creek. But anyways, uh, talking a little bit more, we're going to talk about the Lyman versus Meeker game. This is a game that we definitely had circled on our calendar because Meeker was one of our contenders heading into the season as Lyman was as well, being our pick to win it all on the 1A football level. And Lyman came out and they also had a statement game beating Meeker 43-6 to and they just dominated with basically anybody. Trey Hines, Kai Bandy, Jeremiah Lee. Jeremiah Leeper and Gabe Schubarth, you know, they all scored on the ground. Leeper led the team with 149 rushing yards and two touchdowns on only 12 carries. And overall, every single touchdown that Lyman had was a rushing touchdown. They imposed their will on this Meeker team from start to finish on, you know, whistle to whistle. They dominated and just out-muscled this Meeker team pretty horrendously this game was in meeker as well by the way so if you think that home field advantage is going to save you against this lyman team and these long bus rides you're absolutely wrong and they are coming for your throat every single time they play you and yeah that's going to make for a very long season for anyone who plays lyman and i think that they are still the very clear front runners to win the 1a level Right up there with Buena Vista, and Simon is actually going to fill us in on that Buena Vista versus Banning Lewis Academy game. All right, what's good, y'all? Uh, hey, it's Simon Villanos, aka Coach V. I was actually able to go to this Buena Vista uh, versus Banning Lewis Academy football game over in Falcon, Colorado. It was a pretty good matchup. Now, Banning Lewis, they are a second-year program, I believe, but I like the way they're coached. They're a program that is kind of on the come-up. You know, they're still establishing their culture and everything like that, but I like what they do over there. And so, this game against Buena Vista was going to be a good one for Banning Lewis and a good one for Buena Vista. You know, they needed kind of a, a little bit more of a challenge here. But even then, you know, Buena Vista came out to play. And before I say the final score and whatnot, let me talk about some of the people they were missing. They were missing uh, wide receiver slash safety, Tucker Storms, and then Ethan Flavin as well. I, be I believe he played linebacker and running back for them. So... Losing a couple key players here for Buena Vista, but at the end of the day, it didn't matter. They played a good team game, and there were some really good individual performances in this game as well. Uh, Buena Vista went on to beat Banning Lewis 48-19 when I dipped out because it was kind of a colder night. Not super cold, but it was a little bit of a colder night, and the game was pretty much out of reach. Buena Vista was up 41-6. to uh, at the start of the fourth quarter, and so Banning Lewis was able to get a little bit of something going here, and then Buena Vista scored an extra touchdown. But other than that, game was already decided, and so let me kind of go through how this game went down. So most of the noise, you know, in this game really happened in the third and second quarter, I want to say. Buena Vista started off a little slow. I think they scored only one touchdown in the first quarter. <laughs> only one. But... It was a good touchdown. It was a nice little drive. I believe it ended with a run from Jacob Phelps. So that happened. Uh, and then 
the things kind of started going in. It was kind of a lot. So right now, I do not have the stats of this game, but I'm just going to go off what I saw because there was a lot that went down. I know Hayden Kemp, he had a very nice uh, deep throw. It was like a 50-yard throw um, that kind of set up a nice scoring drive that they eventually punched in. And then... You know, there are a couple other nice uh, passes here. There, Hayden Camp was on it. Their quarterback for Buena Vista, he is potentially the best quarterback in 1A. One of the best quarterbacks in the entire state, to be honest with you. Because he turns it up. He was on top of it. His uh, passes were on the money, despite not having his top receiver out there or one of his top receivers out there. And so he was doing a very nice job. You know, even on some of the deep passes that he didn't connect with, they were on the money. They just weren't hauled in. But still, though, he did not, you know, veer away from some of the receivers that dropped some passes. And there were kind of a lot of dropped passes there were multiple times where he rolled out and he was trying to create it he threw a dot and you know it hit the receiver's hands or maybe it was just a little high but still catchable and the receiver just didn't come down to it so there are a lot of those i would say a lot of dropped passes but at the end of the day he still had i want to say two or three uh touchdown passes uh to start the third quarter because um Buena Vista went ahead and got the ball to start the third. He came out with an excellent 60-yard touchdown run on a design run, I want to say. And it was beautiful. He just outran the entire defense, and he was gone. And, and in my eyes, that was kind of the score that put Banning Lewis away, you know, for the game. At that point, Buena Vista was up 20-0. to zero. But, you know, Banning Lewis, they were, you know, they were driving. They had some nice plays here and there. Uh, the quarterback for Banning Lewis is a very interesting guy, a very interesting prospect to me. I might need to go check out more Banning Lewis games to really get a good feel for him. But he has a really strong arm, and honestly, there were a couple times where he found the right guy down the field. You know, he would throw it deep. But Buena Vista, they had excellent pass defense, and you know they made very good one-on-one -on -one plays to to prevent a lot of those deep passes, at least in the first half and third quarter. You know, which was huge because this Buena Vista defense really stepped it up. You know, Seth Moss, he was out there doing their thing. They're tough against the run and whatnot. Um, and you know, Banning Lewis, they have some guys who could run the ball and break some tackles here and there. They're tough, you know, and so. For Buena Vista to come in, you know, kind of shorthanded and whatnot and do what they did and contain Banning Lewis, um, that's pretty good. You know, you really can't be mad at that. I, I liked what I saw a lot, you know, from both sides of the ball. Um, on offense as well, I don't think I talked about this guy enough, but uh, the running back, Jacob Phelps. He had a couple really nice runs here. They're really tough runs as well where he showed off his speed and his strength. He also showed off his ability to catch the ball and create after the catch. And so you kind of like to see that, him getting some more snaps there, showing some variety uh, as a play callers as well from the Buena Vista coaching staff. I liked what I saw from there. You know, I was able to attend their scrimmage against Manitou Springs, and you saw some things there, but in this game versus Banning Lou, they really showed that they could do a lot with what they have you know they have a great quarterback out there that allows them to push the ball downfield you know have more complicated passing patterns and then you have skilled players like a Jacob Phelps who you could dump it off to and really get creative with you also have some other athletes as well that you know you kind of saw in some end rounds and so uh, Buena Vista they kind of opened up the playbook and I liked it you know they opened it up they showed that they can be a team that could run a lot of different looks offensively against you and so moving forward this is going to be a very interesting team to watch they already are 
you know, at this point, after watching this Banning Lewis uh, game, I'm pretty sold on Buena Vista. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. I feel like they're going to go ahead and go out there and make it to state. You know, I don't see many teams being able to match them offensively. Um, just to start, you know, offensively, they're just so strong. You know, Hayden Camp, their quarterback, had an excellent game last night. A... I would say almost a signature win in his young career. And so he did a very nice job out there. You already know what the running back Jacob Phelps is going to do. He's one of the best in Colorado, you know, in this line. They stood up well. And so I like what they did. I like what they did last night um, offensively. And then defensively, I mean, I feel like they're as tough as they get. You know, against the pass, they're excellent. Against the run, they'll flow to the ball. And they'll, you know, they'll put on some big hits too. There is some really big hits in this game uh, throughout the entire game, actually. And so um, that was a really nice thing to see as well. And this defense, honestly, you know, there were a couple times where the offense was just, they were sputtering to start out the game, to be completely real with you. They were just sputtering. Things just weren't clicking to kind of start off this game. But the defense really uh, held it together. You know, they held Banning Lewis to zero points in that entire first half, I want to say, which is which is huge, you know. And I already talked about the deflections, but they were also getting pressure on the quarterback, making him scramble around. And then even after that, um, after he would dump it off to a receiver, they'd still flow to the ball and make sure that the receiver is down at the point where he caught it. And, you know, they just played very disciplined defense. And so uh, the disciplined defense... That I saw last night that was, you know, undermanned without a Tucker Storms who is a presence at safety, you know, and an Ethan Flavin as well at linebacker. So without those two, this defense showed me a lot of things that I just really liked. You know, I feel like this is a championship level defense. This is a defense that you could honestly rock with uh, not only throughout this regular season, which... Uh, just looking at their schedule, I don't think they're going to have that many challenges, uh, that many more challenges this regular season. And I think, you know, the real challenges start in the playoffs. But I think this is a defense you rock with throughout the playoffs as well. Pair that with an uh, explosive offense that could do a lot of things. I'm looking at a potential Buena Vista lineman game, and I'm super excited to potentially see that. Or, you know, against a Strasbourg or Holyoke or whoever, you know, I'm just very excited to see them play against a playoff-level team, especially. And so, or at least a high-level playoff team. So, shout-out to Buena Vista. They really came out to play. Banning Lewis Academy, I'm going to go to more games. You know, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm not super far from them, and so I'm going to try to go to more games, check out their players and whatnot, because there were some guys who stood out to me. I think more than anything, they just didn't get off to the start they wanted to. And, you know, it just kind of took them a while to get going, even though there were some plays that I really liked that were called. Their defense had some nice uh, stops here and there. At the end of the day, though, Buena Vista is the better team. And so, when you're playing a better team, you got to bring your best game. They just didn't do that. And I don't think this is... I don't think this game represents who Banning Lewis is. And I think they're much better than what they showed today. Now, don't get it twisted. I'd still, you know, favor Buena Vista and have them winning by at least 14 or 20 if they were to meet up again. But I think it'd be a different matchup, though. Regardless, great game by Buena Vista. This is a contending team. And this game showed that they are a contender, if not maybe the favorite, to win it all. In some eyes. Absolutely, and 
you know, we talked about a lot of these same things about this Buena Vista team that we liked during the preseason. And, you know, they're proving us right here in the regular season and they're not even at full strength yet. So definitely one of the top teams to watch at this 1A level. But that will do it for our 1A recap. And I am going to transition us into 2A here. And I'm actually going to start off with a game that Simon and I went and watched. That was the Eaton versus Sterling game. Sterling, who I am going to stick a fork in. They had their top receiver apparently stop playing football to focus more on basketball, which left Radic McCracken, the quarterback, to fend for himself. And man, it is not pretty. As Eaton, in their season debut, comes out with a 63 to nothing win against Sterling, where the line just did whatever they wanted to to this Sterling line. Radic McCracken never had any time to throw. Runs were constantly blown up in the backfield, and Eaton was hitting Sterling hard. There were multiple forced fumbles during this game, and, you know, they Eaton was just so physically overpowering compared to this Sterling team in every single way, whether that was on the defensive side of the ball, shutting down anything that Sterling had planned on the offensive side of the ball, jamming receivers at the line, giving no separation, blowing up the pocket, tearing into the backfield, blowing up runs. That defensive line was so brutal against this Sterling offensive line that, you know, looked a little bit like Swiss cheese in the way that, you know, the Eaton team was able to just waltz right through the line every single time. And some stats to kind of back that up was, you know, they have five recorded tackles for loss from, you know, Benson Hood, Morgan Trebet, and Phil Lawrence. Now, Simon has talked about Morgan Trebet before on this show, and, you know, there's a reason for that. He is just so physically dominant. He's able to manipulate and maneuver across the defensive line with relative ease. And against these Sterling linemen, there really was no competition for Morgan Trebet. And on the offensive side of the ball, Morgan actually, you know, contributed with a five-yard touchdown reception on a bubble screen pass. So, and we'll talk a little bit about the passing game here in just a second, but it was definitely refreshing is what I will say to see Eaton be able to get it done in a variety of ways. But, you know, they did it the way that they normally do, and that's by being so physically dominant up front on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they racked up four sacks. Gunnar Clary, who is a freshman, had two sacks of his own. Morgan Trebet had a sack and a half. And Ryder True, you know, the younger brother to Tanner True, who we've done a film breakdown on, also collected a half sack as well as a hurry. And then as far as interceptions go, Aiden Adams had an interception and a pass deflection for this team. And like I said, there were three caused fumbles and Morgan Trebet recovered one of, one of them. And yeah, this Zach Grable was another big name for this Eaton team on that Thursday night, just flying all over the field and just being an absolute home wrecker for this Sterling team that I'm sure is going to have absolute nightmares in regards to this Eaton team, including, well, especially including Radek McCracken, who I thought was going to be one of the better quarterbacks this year. He only put up a 7.6 QBR against this Eaton team. 
And I think that that's a very good demonstration of far of how far ahead this Eaton team is compared to most of the other teams in 2A. You know, uh, on the ground, Ethan Flores is a great prospect, one of the most underrated prospects. And, you know, there's definitely some inner circles that have this guy highly regarded. And he's absolutely a college football player as long as opportunity allows. He had nine carries for 92 yards and two scores in this game, including some very punishing runs, just lowering his shoulder and going through some of these Sterling defenders. These two teams were not in the same weight class, much less the same league as far as competition goes. So Eaton was absolutely monstrous this game. And, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about some of Simon's notes from the game here. You know, that Eaton... Well, okay, so Resurrection beat Sterling pretty bad last week. I think it was 42 to nothing. And Eaton was hungry to show that Resurrection Christian isn't the only big dog in the house on the 2A level. So they scored 42 points in one quarter and two minutes. And they're going to be super dominant. It was 42 to nothing when we left with seven minutes in the second quarter. There was a, you know, ambulance that was called and... You know, that's just a testament to how physical this Eaton team was. It was like, finally, Sterling got like two completed passes in a row. And this receiver was absolutely lit up by one of the Eaton linebackers. And that was all that she wrote for, you know, the next like half an hour. Because, you know, Eaton's in the middle of nowhere. So it took forever for an ambulance to get there. But anyways, you know, there, it was just a really dominant performance by this Eaton team. And one to remember for the rest of the season, you know, Ethan Flores, like I said, super complete back. He can catch, he can run, he can also block. They have a couple of guys in the backfield who can really get it done. And, you know, Walker Martin at quarterback is the biggest note that Simon had here where he says, quote, you know, this is an interesting new fold that I didn't see a lot of in the state game versus Lamar last year. And this is a passing game that can develop even more. So, you know, you had Zach Grable, who was mossing people for touchdowns. Morgan Trebet was getting in on the fun. And Walker Martin is a very good, I'd say, dual threat quarterback. He only is the stat line doesn't reflect it too much, I don't think, because Eaton didn't have to bust out the entire playbook to win this game. But he did have three passing touchdowns on only five attempts, as well as a rushing touchdown on four carries. So almost every other time this dude touched the ball or was a part of the play, it was a touchdown for Eaton and just overall completely dominant on this Eaton team's behalf. But there's really not that much to say else about this Eaton game. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the rest of 2A. We didn't make it out to any of these other games, but there are still plenty of, you know, notable teams such as Resurrection Christian, who we just talked about. You know, Eddie Lemos is an absolute dog. We knew this heading into the season, and he proved it once again, running for 221 yards and five touchdowns on 20 carries against Thompson Valley. And Kay Dunlap also had 130 rushing yards and a touchdown on 18 carries. So Resurrection Christian, just keeping it simple, pounding it through the ground and winning an easy game against Thompson Valley on Thursday. And then a really close game between the Basalt Longhorns and Battle Mountain with Basalt winning 40-34. to Cade Schneider had 
three total touchdowns, but really it was Sam Sherry putting in his hat at a chance for player of the week on this 2A level with two rushing touchdowns, a receiving touchdown, 11 tackles, and a pass deflection for this Basalt team. I talked about how important he was going to be to their contending plans in the 2A preview, and I still stand by that. And so Sam Sherry is definitely a player to watch for the rest of the year as far as being able to help this Basalt team make a deep push into the 2A playoffs. Talking about some other 2A scores on Friday, you had La Junta beat Pagosa Springs 46-0. So, you know, Pagosa Springs not really looking like the favorite to win that 2A Southwest Conference right now. The Delta Panthers beat Salida 49-0. Salida, I never believed in them to win the 2A Southwest, and they continue to prove me right. Kent Denver in against Evelyn, so an inner Denver matchup. Kent Denver won 36-15, and Finn Cooper, the running back for Ken Denver, is definitely the headline of this game, rushing 26 times for 259 yards and two scores. And then talking about the 2A Southwest, you know, the Alamosa team here actually had a very solid game on the back of Gonzalez Jr., who had 22 carries for 97 yards and two scores. Alamosa... You know, they were able to move the ball pretty consistently and, you know, beat this Monta Vista Pirates team 32-14 to 14 on the backs of a solid run game, as well as Cade Jones, the junior, showing absolutely out on the defensive side of the ball with two interceptions for 102 total interception return yards. And RJ Mice, the sophomore who had an interception return for, a, for 70 yards. So 172 interception return yards. For this Alamosa team, absolutely absurd showing up like that on the defensive side of the ball. And a lot of that has to do with just the experience and the trust that these players have for one another. Like I said in the 2A Southwest preview, they have a lot of guys coming back who have played together before. And I think that, you know, it's starting to show out here. Cade Jones also had a fumble recovery for 40 yards. And I just think that, you know, this was a very solid performance by this Alamosa team being able to score on the defensive side of the ball so well and just get excellent field position throughout this entire game. And, you know, Kay Jones definitely putting in a word for this to a player of the week conversation. Moving on for the rest of 2A, I'm going to jump to the including another team that has been in very good communication with me, and that is Bayfield, who actually won their first game 26-13 against Inglewood High School. This was a massive home win, and it helps put them in contention for that Southwest Conference. They are currently 1-1, one one, just like Alamosa, who those two teams are in the lead right now in that conference. But I think a really big game to talk about here is the University and Manitou Springs game here. University came out and was absolutely mobbing on the defending Spring League champs in the Manitou Mustangs. And it started and, you know, it starts with Greg Garza, who had a great game throwing the ball, throwing for four touchdowns to only one interception and tacking on another eight yards in rushing. But I think that Kanan Padilla was the guy who did it all for this university team, rushing three times for 56 yards and a score 
also contributing with a receiving touchdown on one reception. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Kanan had a pretty solid game with seven tackles, as well as a pass deflection and a forced fumble for this university team. He was all over the place and also puts his name in for the 2A Player of the Week. So there is a really good conversation here for the 2A Player of the Week, and you'll just have to stay tuned to see who I announce as the Players of the Week, or you just looked at the cover on Instagram when you were looking through, and you just heard some stats that would explain why I chose who I chose. But there's really not any other major headlines, I'd say, out of 2A, other than Eaton is who we thought they were, and still definitely the heavyweights heading into the rest of this season to compete for that 2A title. When we come back, I will be talking 3A football recap and then just proceed into 4 and 5A coming up. And welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. We're talking week two recap, and we are starting with the 3A football recap here on Thursday. Not a lot of 3A football going on, but Thomas Jefferson did beat Sierra 41-8, to kind of getting back into a groove and getting that first win in that win column. Then you had Frederick beat Pueblo Centennial 56-8. to now, these are some of the more minor scores on that 3A level, but still worth mentioning. And then on Friday is where we started to see a lot more 3A competition. You know, we had the likes of Kennedy here getting their first win with a 47 to nothing thrashing of Alameda, where, you know, Kennedy kind of just did whatever they wanted to to this Alameda team. And that's kind of the end of that story, to be completely fair. And then also George Washington got into the win column with a very close win over Northfield, 28-22. to Then continuing to go down this list, Conifer snuck out a 9-7 win against Pueblo Central to remain undefeated so far this season. Moving further down the list, you had Northridge really put it to Greeley Central. This is kind of a 3A and a 4A kind of note here because, you know, Northridge being 3A and Greeley Central being 4A. But Northridge with a huge 51-15 to win. I'll talk a little bit more about that on the 4A recap. But moving forward some more. I was supposed to go to this game, but... I just would have gotten there a little bit too late. And that is the Roosevelt Holy Family game. And man, Roosevelt looks exactly like the contender that I thought that would be. Brock Saya came out and he had a great game. You know, he threw four touchdowns to no interceptions. He almost had as many touchdowns as he had incomplete passes going 11 for 17 for 187 yards and those four scores. And he was able to spread it out pretty well, but... Tucker Peterson was really the guy who took over this game with three catches for 104 yards and two of those scores. I did a film breakdown on Tucker Peterson. I talked about him during the preview. He's one of the best receivers in the state, and he showed that against this Holy Family team that, you know, doesn't have the worst secondary in the world. They have that two-star safety in Jacob Lover, I believe is how you say that name. 
but and I still have to watch his film, being that he's a two-star guy. But still, to have that performance against a team that has a pretty decent athlete on the back end who can fly all over the field is saying something. Brock also tacked on another score on the ground, having nine carries for 56 yards and a score. So I think that Brock is ready to, you know, really take this Roosevelt team places. This Holy Family team is no slouch. We talked about them being a perennial playoff team and constantly being in the mix on the 3A level during our 3A preview. So I think that this is a great win for Roosevelt. Their defense also showed up and balled out, collecting two interceptions, being Keaton Kaiser, Kaiser and uh, Botterell here, who both, you know, had a pretty good game as well as three pass deflections. They also had a blocked punt from Bronco Hartson, who I believe is related to the former quarterback for this team, Brig Hartson. And they also recovered two fumbles. So Holy Family didn't play the cleanest game here. And, you know, Roosevelt did what they did best. They played very fast, aggressive defense. Bronco Hartson had five tackles for loss out of the six total tackles that, you know, he was a part of. Tucker Peterson was also having some fun on the defensive side of the ball, getting a sack on top of the two scores that he had. So this Roosevelt team, they're here to make some noise. I think that this is a very great opening game for Roosevelt to win against a solid team in at, at Holy Family, I should mention, in Broomfield. So it wasn't a away game. And Brock rose to the occasion. I think that he's going to continue to have a really good year and help this Roosevelt team contend for a 3A title. Continuing to talk about some Friday games, you know, I or I think this was on Friday. Maybe it wasn't. But anyways, Durango took care of business against a New Mexico team. They were up 47 to nothing at halftime. And currently, they've scored 112 points through two games being undefeated. And they haven't allowed a single point. Granted, this is against an Aztec team and a Pagosa Springs team who have not proven to be the strongest teams on this level. But, you know, 112 points to zero points is still something, right? So definitely worth talking about and needed to mention that Durango, once again, looking like a very solid contender. Who knows? We might end up with the Durango and Roosevelt championship for the second year in a row. But, you know, listen to the 3A preview for that discussion. Coming back to some other 3A games here on this Friday night, before I pass it over to Simon to talk about the Lutheran versus Denver North game, you did have Discovery Canyon eke out a win against Pueblo South to move to 2-0, and they have an absolutely massive game against Meade coming up this next week, so that is definitely something to keep an eye on. But, you know, this Discovery Canyon team, they played great defense. They forced Caleb Ortiz for Pueblo South to throw three interceptions and they really locked down on the running game only averaging 1.8 yards per run so huge kudos to this Discovery Canyon defense I wish that there is more stats on their offense so I could talk about that a little bit more however that is just very obviously not going to happen because they just don't have the stats but <clears throat> moving to one of the Bigger players from this week in 3A and one of the closer games. Now, Rifle is a 2A team. Glenwood Springs is a 3A team. However, this is a great game and one of the best games of the week. Glenwood Springs ends up winning a very, very close 14-6 game here. And it was a little bit of a back and forth for sure, you know. There wasn't a score 
until, you know, the third quarter where Rifle actually came out winning seven to nothing. And then Glenwood Springs scores with just a minute left in the third quarter. And then they score with six minutes to go, making it 13 to seven or 13 to six, I should say, which would end up being the final score of this game. And one of the notable players to talk about here is Teddy Huttenhauer for Glenwood Springs. Had an absolutely phenomenal game, racking up like 18 tackles and three for loss, which is massive in, against a team like Rifle, who is a very run-between-the-tackles kind of team. And then you also had Ray Rosenmerkel, who had a phenomenal game receiving the ball. Nine receptions, 159 yards, and a score for this Glenwood Springs team. He was virtually unstoppable. And between him and Cole Sherrick, they racked up 16 receptions between the two of them. And huge kudos to this sophomore quarterback here in Sandoval for, or Joaquin Sandoval for this Glenwood Springs team on taking what the defense gave him and being very patient. You know, there was not a lot of deep ball opportunities, but Ray Rosenmerkel actually put this game away with a massive 46 yard touchdown reception to put Glenwood Springs ahead very late in this game. So, Glenwood Springs with a very clutch win, I would say, against this rifle team. I know that it looks maybe not as impressive being that it's a 2A team. However, this was a very huge game for Glenwood Springs to come out victorious in. And one that's going to, I think, carry some serious momentum heading forward for this Glenwood team. And I don't believe that there is really any notable games on the 3A level on Saturday if y'all disagree, please just make sure to DM us and talk about some of the more notable games from Saturday. But I am going to pass it over to Simon to talk about the Lutheran game and how that went on Friday night. And I think you'll understand why I decided to not stop by when you realize that it wasn't much of a competition. What's good, y'all? It's uh, one of your co-hosts, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I'm here to talk real quick about the Zaluthan versus Denver North matchup. I went with Mays and Austin on Friday, September 3rd, and so we were able to, you know, check out the Lutheran Lions, a team that uh, Cody and I both picked as a potential contender. They're probably a team that could, uh, you know, make a deep playoff run and potentially be in the state championship and you know tonight they played like a state champion uh winning over denver north 48 to 15 in a very dominant performance you know i'm not even gonna lie game started out a little you know it started out a little shaky for for both teams really not just like lutheran to start out the game, Lutheran actually kicked an onside kick that they recovered. And so, you know, they're around the 40 or 30 on the other side of the field driving to start out this game, which is interesting because they kind of kicked that onside kick a lot um, this game. And maybe it's because of their opponent and whatnot, but, you know, it is what it is. It was working, so there you go. But Lutheran on the first drive, I believe the very first passing play, quarterback Clayton Jacobs, I do not know who he was throwing to. Well, no, I know who he was throwing to. He was trying to throw to, I want to say he was trying to throw the seam route, but it was definitely triple covered. You had a safety overhead, you had a corner, and then there was another defensive player in the mix who uh, came off his guy because the ball just wasn't a great ball at all. And so to 
I, I wouldn't say to start off the game, but the first passing play of the game was a very bad interception into triple coverage. And so Denver North ended up recovering it from there. And I would say that was the only like horrible play I saw from Luthen, that is, to start out the game. And so, you know, a little bit ambitious there. That's not exactly a throw you want to make or a decision you want to make, but he made up for it. And so... Kind of moving on into this game. Right after that, Luthen went ahead and got another interception. Picking off Denver North and then kind of resetting there. And then from there, it was... It was not the greatest game um, because Luther just started dominating, you know. Um, Clayton Jacobs, their quarterback, I just got to say, he looked fantastic. He's somebody who could run the ball, and he ran the ball a lot more than I thought he actually would. And I feel like some of them were designed runs, and then some others were more scrambles. But he he took he wasn't afraid to run the ball. And when he's out in the open field, he's a little shifty. He has a little wiggle to him, so he's not exactly like an easy runner to break down on. And then also he has some good speed. There are a couple of times where he just took it up the middle and gained like 15, 20 yards a pop. You know, and so he was kind of hurting them there. Then you had running back Dorian Pacheco. He was doing his thing here and there. But really, I would say the the headline of this first half and really the whole game was uh, Clayton Jacobs because he just took the top off multiple times. You know, there was an excellent throw that I, I think actually caught and posted on our Instagram here where, you know, he kind of threw it to the corner and... It was kind of a tight window. I saw where he was going because there was a flash of, like, you know, the receiver being open for a second there. And so it was a very tight window to the corner. But Clayton Jacobs kind of just drops it into the breadbasket. And his receiver was able to walk into the end zone. Not bad coverage at all. I would say not bad coverage at all, but, you know, it was just a perfect throw. And so you saw that one. There's another great throw where um, he was looking... I don't know. I think there were a couple penalties, but they were driving again. And then he kind of, you saw him go through his progressions and then find a guy over in the middle wide open for a touchdown. There were multiple times as well, including that touchdown pass that I talked about where he hit the corner, where you could see him looking off defenders and then throwing his guys open. Uh, So, for example, on that touchdown pass on the corner route, I'm pretty sure he had a guy in the flats and he kind of looked that way and pulled up. The cornerback, who I think was in the flat route down, so that, you know, it was really just the receiver with uh, leverage against that safety overhead and made that a one-on-one matchup. So that was fantastic. And there were multiple other throws where he was ju- he was just on it. So after that first play, you know, he, he was just on top of it. Uh, I got to shout out his receivers, Bryce Johnson. He made a couple nice snags. But the CCO brothers, uh, Trey and Joe CCO, they were, do- they were putting in some work. I believe actually... Trey CCO, he had this really nice touchdown uh, where, you know, Clayton Jacobs found him. It wasn't like a crazy route or anything. I think he was just in the flats and he caught it. And then he was uh, running after the catch and he gave this corner a little shoulder shake and just dropped him. Like the dude just fell down and slipped. And it, it wasn't raining or anything like that. It was a legit drop. Like he just dropped the dude and then ran like 20 yards for a touchdown. So he looked impressive. Um, his brother Joe CCO I want to say he was all over the field uh as a defensive player and doing his thing as well and so they have a pair of really good athletes in those guys those are guys that we did not talk about in the recap and so um love seeing them play 
other guys that kind of stood out in this game. And, you know, this game, it was pretty much put away. We left a little early. It was 42-0 by the time we left, you know, and I don't think they scored after that. But it was 42-0 in, like, the second quarter. So there you go. And they didn't score after that. So, yeah. But other guys who uh, stood out, Dorian Pacheco, obviously you have his uh, contributions at running back, but as a defensive player, he was all over the place. I'm sure he, I'm pretty sure he got a sack at least, if not a couple. Got a lot of tackles for losses. He uh, snagged an interception as well, you know, and I believe he might have had a running, rushing touchdown, I want to say. Could be wrong, but either way, you know, Dorian Pacheco, he was everywhere. That dude was a monster. It was really fun seeing that guy play, you know, live because it really just showed how important he is to this defense and just how skilled of a player he is. And so, outside of Clayton Jacobs, I would probably say uh, if we were to select an MVP or player of the game for this game uh, defensively, it'd probably be Dorian Pacheco. He was all over the place, and, you know, that's expected. He was an All-State guy last year. Um, currently, he was leading the team in tackles. I'm sure he still is, you know, and so he did his thing. Clayton Jacobs being, you know... Our player of the week last week, uh, one of the quarterbacks we have our eyes on, you know, that is somebody that uh, will probably, if I had to pick, be my pick for player of the game, you know, he was on top of it, he got this offense going, and he showed some flashes here of greatness, a lot of flashes of greatness, to be honest with you, and this offense together looks really good, it will be interesting to see how they perform against a Roosevelt, Mead, uh, those type of cats out here, because those are the other contenders that we picked, and you know, Lutheran really doesn't play a hard schedule, which is good, you know, because they'll get some things going and they'll, you know, find their depth as well. But they need to be ready for the playoffs still. Either way, they look good. There was no, I mean, outside of that first play, there wasn't really any real struggle. Um, they, you know, they, they really did whatever they wanted, especially on offense. And, you know, there are a couple times on offense that you saw them go uh, tempo as well, which I really liked. And, you know, Teams, they won't be able to keep up with that if they're not ready and if their defense isn't ready because Lutheran has some weapons. Outside of um, the main guys we talked about, you know, the CCO brothers, they had a great game tonight. They had a good game tonight, and they really stepped up. And as is, they had a bunch of athletes who... You know, we talked about before, Ryan Kenny, he made a couple appearances. He had a nice little run in there. Uh, obviously, you got Bryce Johnson, their safety. Believed he might have snagged a pick. I could have been mistaken, though. Uh, but he did a nice job out there. Obviously, our big old, old lineman, Arvi Jacobs, and that Lutheran line, they did a fantastic job. Uh, uh, Mason, being our O-line guy, our line guy, really had a couple things to say. He was very impressed with Ari Jacobs, number 75, by the way. He said he's a great impact blocker uh, kept his eyes downfield and not afraid of contact contact and is willing to put someone in the dirt you know did say he blocks a little high at times but other than that you know a very good blocker one of the better uh, interior linemen that he's seen so far and so Ari Jacobs shout out to him he did a nice job uh, he also liked number 55 for Lutheran as well Riken Posey I want to say he said he made some solid little blocks in there um I had a couple pancakes, uh, but, you know, he said he could have probably done a little bit more. There are times where, you know, he'd kind of just block his guy and then not look for another block, and so that was the only gripe there. But other than that, he said he stood out to him. He played a fantastic game 
as well. So all together, though, this Lutheran team is very much legit. Um, a lot of the teams that we went out to look at, at least a lot of the contenders we went out to look at this week, really just came out and dominated and showed why they are one of the best teams in Colorado. Lutheran did exactly that uh, to start off their season. Um, they're, well, I guess to start off their Colorado regular season because this was the first Colorado team they played at home. And so, love seeing that. This is a team that I'm really excited to watch again, especially against, uh, you know, a little bit more of a quality opponent here moving forward. But, yeah. Yep, and that's exactly why I didn't pull through because, well, they were dominating and I definitely got the, the gist of it. Um just getting the updates from Simon and Mason over the phone. So, but with all that being said, I do believe that it is time for us to talk 4A. And there are some pretty notable 4A matchups this week. Starting on Thursday night, there is a very competitive close game between Palmer Ridge and Mesa Ridge. And so I'm just going to try and go through the score tracker here and let you guys know how much of a back and forth it was. It did start off with a Connor Cook two-yard rushing touchdown to put Palmer Ridge up seven to nothing. And then heading further into the second quarter, actually, the Mesa Ridge defense came up massive with an 89-yard pick six from Desmond Burton to tie this game up. However, Palmer Ridge, you know, their defense was swarming and suffocated this Mesa Ridge offense for a lot of the game, and they were able to get the ball back, and Connor Cook responded with another touchdown to put Palmer Ridge up 13-7 until Mesa Ridge also, once again, their defense and special teams was a huge part of them staying in this game, and, you know, it was evident when they had a kickoff return for a touchdown so another return for a touchdown for this mesa ridge team and they actually went for two and succeeded so they were up 15 to 13 in the second quarter before palmer ridge had a kick return for a touchdown themselves to make it 19 to 15 and then got the pat correct so they were up 20 to 15 with six minutes left to go in the first half the defense then did their thing where Mesa Ridge got the ball on their own 20-yard line and then caused a 13-yard loss, a 3-yard loss, and then a safety on third down to make it 22-15 Palmer Ridge. Then there is a little bit of a lightning delay, so these teams get a little bit rusty before Mesa Ridge, in the second half in the third quarter, manages to score a 1-yard touchdown to punch it in, making it 22-21. And then Mesa Ridge actually gets their second lead of the game in the third quarter with two minutes to go with a 79-yard touchdown pass. And, you know, they fail their two-point conversion, making it 22-27 to with Palmer Ridge getting the ball back and Connor Cook with his third rushing touchdown of the game. And Anthony Costanzo, the three-star athlete, getting a two yard or a two point conversion to put Palmer Ridge up 30 to 27. Now winning a football game is always good. And if you're Palmer Ridge, you're happy to be walking away with a two and O record. However, 
there are definitely some things to be concerned about here. Derek Hester, the quarterback, did throw two interceptions, including the one pick six to Cash Cheeks over on the other end. And Carver Cheeks was actually the other interception for this Mesa Ridge team. So you have a pair of brothers getting a pair of picks against this quarterback. And really, if it wasn't for Connor Cook averaging four, almost five yards per carry and getting those three touchdowns, especially in the red zone, this Palmer Ridge team probably walks away with a loss. They lost this game on the special teams end, in my opinion. I think that, you know, the defense did a very good job containing the Mesa Ridge offense for the most part. They were very rowdy when it came to the Mesa Ridge running game, holding them less than a yard per carry for Mesa Ridge. And that including getting 18 tackles for loss, including Gannon, Arthur, who had five of his own, and Holden Wright, who had three of his own. And as far as sacks go, they racked up six sacks with Gannon Arthur getting two and Bradley Larson getting two and a half leading the way. So you had some seniors step in and then a Leighton Wright with a sack as well. So just a great performance by this front seven in this Palmer Ridge game to keep them in the game. But their quarterback... Definitely needs to clean some things up if they're going to get a deeper push into the playoffs this year and actually want to be a contender. As far as other 4A news, you had Pine Creek take care of business against Denver East with a 28-0 win where Kale Reeves Dunbar had two sacks and quarterback Josiah Roy went 7 for 12 for 114 yards and a passing touchdown and adding on another 113 yards on the ground and two more rushing touchdowns and the last trifecta of this dominant pine creek game was mason miller who had 166 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown so you know this defense with gavin wetzel and kale reeves dunbar playing at a very high level they haven't allowed a single point all year and you know simon and i got to watch some of these denver east athletes work out and they have some athletes on this denver east team they have some arm power they have potential and athletic ability, but this Pine Creek team just had a better scheme as well as execution on this Thursday night to walk away with a win. Once again, on the 4A level, I said that I'd come back to this. Northridge did beat Greeley Central 51-15. Northridge currently still runs Greeley. They do have a game against Greeley West this Friday, and if they win that game, well, Greeley is theirs to run for the second year in a row. And... You know, a lot of the action for this game was before. You know, there is a headline where a Greeley Central kid got jumped by some Northridge kids. There is Northridge kids waving a flag in front of Greeley Central, you know, a Northridge flag. And, you know, there is a, you know, there is a lot of hype in the city of Greeley this week leading up to this game. And the game itself did not live up to the hype. The Northridge defense was just constantly swarming for this for this team. And, you know, Genoa just wasn't able to cause enough magic to, you know, outscore this Northridge team. And as simple as it's simple right now, Northridge runs the city of Greeley, and that's just how it is. Let's see if Greeley West can change that. And I'll actually talk about this that game coming up here in just a little bit. But as far as some other 4A kind of scores go. You had Stanley Lake on Thursday night win 37-25 against Rampart. We Ben knew that Rampart is a team that 
kind of struggles a little bit, especially when executing the right game plan is what I will probably say. Vista Peak beat Falcon High School 13-7 on Thursday night, and that's a really tough loss for this Falcon team. You obviously want to be able to compete against these Vista Peaks, but at least they were able to hang in pretty close with that team. And then on Friday, you know, some other games that happened. And I'll talk about the Greeley West and Bear Creek game at the very end of this 4A segment here. But anyways, you had a matchup between Fruita Monument and Montrose, where Montrose came out with a very close win, 26-22. to So, you know, that's a very close game with two potential fringe playoff teams. And that may be really important heading into tiebreakers later in the year. Denver South bounced back from their loss last week to beat Adams City 49-24. to Or it might actually be 518. But anyways, Pueblo West also bounced back, you know, with a massive 48-0 win against Pueblo County here to, you know, break even and go 1-1 one one now. Then you had, let's see... Erie, one of our contenders take care of business against Pueblo East, 29-7. But we're going to jump over to Longmont here. And actually, first, real quickly, talk about Silver Creek, who is 2-0. And they've looked very solid this season after struggling a lot last year. They are not the same team from last year. And they won against Centaurus, 36-20. And, you know, they're, they're just looking like a really good team for this 4A level here. But... Yeah, and you also had Golden continue their win streak with a 35-14 win against Green Mountain. Chatfield took care of Brighton 43-20. I almost stayed for that game, but once again, just didn't quite have the time. But in one of the premier games of the week, you did have Longmont versus Broomfield. Two of the top quarterbacks in the state and Cola Crew and Keegan Patterson, who is definitely gunning for that number one QB spot for the class of 21 after an incredible performance against this Broomfield team where he went 26 for 36 for 329 yards, two touchdowns to one interception and added on another three rushing touchdowns for 108 yards. He was running circles against this Broomfield team, at least against this Broomfield defense and was just so unequivocally dominant in this win that they were able to sneak out and they really needed this win and they came out 38-29 to against Broomfield. Keegan Patterson just being so electric through both the air and the ground. It helps when you have a receiver like Caleb Johnson who can catch the ball 13 times for 131 yards. And we'll talk a little bit about how, you know, the, uh, the other side, Broomfield, showed up. But, you know, they were able to just barely come out with this. They also had an interception with Caleb Johnson helping kind of win that turnover differential and Gail Garcia also causing a fumble that was recovered by Cole Gaddis. So this Longmont team is looking really good. I think that they can keep up with anybody in the entire state. If they're able to win kind of a shootout against Broomfield, that's a very good win to have under your belt and something to be very confident with heading forward in the rest of their you know, season. I think that they have a pretty decent shot at maybe even competing for their own league. But... Hopping over to the Broomfield side, Cola Crew struggled mightily this game. I just don't know if he has quite the protection that he maybe should have to be a bit more successful. You know, had a sub 50% completion percentage through that interception and, you know, but still also had a touchdown. 
to his lead guy, Josh Dunn here, who caught for more yards than Caleb Johnson. Part of that is a 52-yard long for a touchdown. Josh Dunn here, nine receptions for 176 yards and a score. He's definitely on our list to be one of the top senior receivers, both he and Caleb Johnson. There's plenty of names to look at here. But Nicola Cruz just getting swarmed week in and week out with consistently collapsing pockets. And, you know, Broomfield here is in a very scary spot for one of our contenders, starting off 0-2 with close losses to both Golden and Longmont. They really, this is a must-win game, I'd say, here Friday night against this Denver South team at 4 o'clock. If you lose this game, you really might be looking at missing the playoffs. And the schedule only gets harder after Monarch here. They have Loveland, then Windsor, then Silver Creek, who's actually looking pretty good this year. Brighton, that's a game that you probably should win. Then Erie, also on the 22nd. So Broomfield, really, if they want to... They might not win the Northern League at this point. But if they want to make the playoffs, they have to turn it around sooner rather than later they are a team who's been struggling very mightily recently so with all that being said i will talk about the game that i made it out to that was the Greeley west versus bear creek game over there at jeffco 4 p.m on friday that would be september 3rd is when that game was and you know it was a very interesting game to watch and very exciting to start off in, in the very beginning. I will kind of condemn Jeffco's stadium. They have this kind of weird turf drop-off part, and their lead running back and linebacker actually got hurt there. I believe it was a fractured ankle. I do not know when his return will be, but it was a very kind of intense injury. He's obviously torn up about it, and so I wish him a very speedy and healthy recovery. So Bear Creek, without their lead back, and, you know, with this Greeley West defense coming out very, ta you know, like like a Tasmanian devil a little bit, you know, coming out with some interceptions and some scrappy play and playing some pretty good bump and run with these receivers, you know. They they forced a couple of turnovers to start the game, and they forced a lot of turnovers over the course of the game. This is a very turnover-riddled game, I will say. And, you know, that's, uh, that led to a lot of back and forth. But, however, Bear Creek started to pull away. They were able to beat West through the middle quite a bit with, you know, just constant run after run after run. And eventually the passing game also opened up for Bear Creek, and they were able to get a couple of passing touchdowns in this game. But really, I think the story of this game is that the Greeley West offense just, they were struggling quite a bit. So a couple of things to know about this Greeley West offense they are on their second string quarterback. Their starting quarterback actually tore his meniscus right before the season started. So they are on QB2. One of their running backs, David Thomas, who I had the pleasure of helping coach last year, he was starting to get some ankle problems and had to eventually leave the game. And he was their lead running back. So that's always a really tough loss to experience. And overall, Bear Creek... After allowing a few big runs to start the game, they really buckled down and they loaded up the box. And they were kind of pushing this Greeley West high school offensive line around a little bit. There are definitely some missed blocks and just some big time weight room moments where Greeley West really just wasn't able to compete with the strength and speed of this Bear Creek 
defense. So, you know, the offense kind of stalled out. Bear Creek continued to get chances on offense. And eventually the floodgates broke open and they went on a massive scoring streak. Scoring, I believe, like 34 points in a row or something to the tune of that. Uh, they did miss an extra point. But anyways, you know, the Scree West team, they, they hung in there. They started to open up their passing game a little bit later in the game. But, you know, Bear Creek, they did get a score off of a pick six from the quarterback. I believe that was Blake McComber. McComber? Not sure how to say that. But he had a pick six for Bear Creek. And Zach Nash, who is a safety, had two interceptions for Bear Creek. So they did a great job forcing a lot of turnovers from this Greeley West offense. And it wasn't until way late in the game that Greeley West was finally able to get on the board making this a 40-13 to 13 loss for Greeley West. They are now 0-2, and, and Bear Creek is 2-0, and 0 actually, after a win against Lakewood, but they are now down their leading running back. They did show some, you know, perseverance in this game, and a lot of different players stepped up, but I don't have a lot of faith in this quarterback being able to make a whole lot of noise on this 4A level, I think, when faced with, I mean... He threw a ton of interceptions against this Greeley West team that has a great cornerback one in Alexis. And I think that there's only going to be, you know, more great corners that this Bear Creek team is going to face. And it's only going to get harder from here. So Bear Creek really has to kind of buckle down here and figure out something to do with their run game to make it a bit more consistent. And Greeley West is just... Searching for an identity on offense, I believe, is kind of where they're at. They need their offensive line to get more of a push. And the quarterback was under constant duress basically this entire game and was not planting his feet quite a bit. And, you know, I would say when healthy, it probably isn't as mobile of a quarterback as who their quarterback was going to be. So there's definitely just a lot of things kind of going against this Greeley West team this year. But they have to figure out something sooner than later because the schedule does not get easier. They do have a pre they do have a Northridge game coming up this Friday night actually to see if Northridge still runs Greeley and Northridge is coming into this game 2 and 0. They just thrashed Greeley Central. So they've got to be feeling really confident and Greeley West has got to buckle down and figure something out. Then they have a game against Mountain View, Greeley Central, Brighton, Windsor, Erie, Silver Creek, Broomfield. Like I talked about with Windsor, Erie, Silver Creek and Broomfield. These are all really good teams. It's going to be a very competitive league for Greeley West. And so they really need to get a win here. I'd say that this is probably a must-win game on Friday night in order to try and save this season here for Greeley West. So, you know, there's definitely a lot to look at. They do have a little bit of versatility in their offensive play calling. So they just need to open up the playbook and make sure that Northridge isn't ready for what is coming. And that defense, if that defense performs the same way against Northridge as they do against Bear Creek, I think they're in a pretty good spot, honestly, if they can force turnovers. And the only thing is I would probably want to see a little bit more out of the Greeley West special teams to try and get the offense a little bit better field position. But, you know, it was great seeing all my former players there and talking and catching up and seeing all the sophomores that I coached. You know, I coached the freshman team for them last year, so it was really cool to see all of them and how they're doing. So, you know, I, I'm obviously rooting for them every single week, and those are still my boys and my players too. So, you know, Greeley West, they they got a lot of young, raw talent over there, 
And so once it starts clicking, it could be really good, but they just need to figure out how to get it to start clicking. But that's kind of all I have for the Greeley West game. And then to wrap up our 4A conversation here, Dakota Ridge did beat Thornton. It was a kind of replacement game for the Vista Ridge game that got canceled. And Noah Triplett ran for three touchdowns on six carries and also caught receiving touchdowns. So Noah Triplett, we're very familiar with him and the speed and just the dynamic offensive threat that he is. And so, you know, it, it's not really an impressive win, I wouldn't say, just because it is Thornton and they're not a great team, but a win's a win's a win. And, you know, they start off 2-0, and including that win against the Florida team that they did face last week in Florida. So, you know, kind of not unexpected news here. You know, just making sure that everyone knew that Dakota Ridge took care of business. And coming up next, I will talk about the 5A recap as well as my choices for player of the week. Coming up. Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. We are on our last segment talking 5A recap, as well as my choices for player of the week on each level. So, starting off on Thursday night, you had Ralston Valley get a 30-17 win against Freedom High School down in Florida. And, you know, this is another win on a long list of wins of -of out-of-state games for this Colorado, you know, football state right now. So, just one in one moment, I'll continue to touch on that. But continuing down this Thursday list, you know, lots of 4A games. They don't really try and schedule 5A games on here. But you did have a pretty notable win with Columbine beating Cherokee Trail 52-21. to Cherokee Trail didn't record any stats. And actually, this game was like 14-7 to in the first quarter. And I believe Cherokee Trail was winning. But then, you know, Columbine took off with this game. Much thanks to honorable mention for 5A Player of the Week, Seth Cromwell who ran for 161 yards and four touchdowns while tacking on another 18 tackles and three tackles for loss. So Seth Cromwell was all over the field for this Columbine team. And as we talked about in our 5A preview, he's one of the best players in the state and is going to be a huge part of their success this year. Then you also had junior running back Tyree Hayes, trustee who ran for 263 yards on 22 carries and two touchdowns. So Columbine just literally ran through Cherokee Trail like they were a sheet of plastic, basically. And that's all she wrote for that. He also had Thunder Ridge behind the state leader in touchdowns, Seth Frazier, getting a 34-7 win against Doherty. This is a game that Thunder Ridge should win. But Seth Frazier definitely making some noise and making sure that we know who to consider for our top five quarterbacks. However, I think the absolute game of the week and overall, you know, And a huge reason why the 5A player of the week is who it is, is this Rock Canyon Jaguars game versus the Chaparral Wolverines. So in this game, Chaparral was winning 21-7 heading into the fourth quarter before Rock Canyon scored 20 points in this fourth quarter to tie up this game. Chaparral's only scored six. And actually forced overtime. So a wild comeback by Rock Canyon, you know, being able to... There's only four minutes left when Rock Canyon stormed back in. They were forcing turnovers. They were getting big gains and big plays from their players. 
And, you know, a lot of that, I think, is thanks to uh, Cole Dreyfus, who came into the game. He's a senior quarterback, and, you know, he really... He really made some noise going seven for 21, not a very terrible completion percentage. I'm not even going to lie, but throwing two touchdowns in the process to only one interception. And then, you know, it's also you, you had some pretty deep, you had the running game starting to pick up later in the game as well for this Rock Canyon team. And Dean Chisholm, he's a receiver for them who, you know, was making some noise, five receptions for 97 yards and a touchdown and Trey Weber, who had a 47-yard touchdown catch to, I believe that was when Rock Canyon actually got their first lead of the entire game, was on that massive play. So, you know, this game was really close, and um, it, and it was kind of Chaparral. That's something to consider when talking about Chaparral in the future, is that they allowed this massive comeback to happen. They were even up 21-0 to at one point, so... You know, Rock Canyon, uh, I don't think that they're a contender, but Chaparral has to figure out how to play a complete game as well as, you know, figure it out on defense as well. So, you know, they, they, they head into overtime with Rock Canyon tied 27-27. Rock Canyon gets the first chance and they kick a field goal to pull ahead. So they are up 30 to 27, and now it's Chaparral's chance to respond. And my 5A player of the week, talk the rest of his stats later, Kylan Wilson gets the game-winning rushing touchdown to help Chaparral win this game 33-30. And what a game. What a back-and-forth electrifying game that this was. Really, the game of the week, in my opinion, with hindsight being there, at the 5A level, or any level really, with the comebacks coming into play and the overtime. I don't know if there is another game that even went into overtime this week. There was a lot of blowouts in this week too, honestly. Kind of disappointing to look through. But a massive game nonetheless from this Chaparral team who came out and finally took care of business. They just kind of fell asleep in that fourth quarter. And you can't do that against a team like Rock Canyon and... Well, you can't do that against any team, really, on this 5A level, especially if you want to be a legitimate contender, such as Chaparral. But, moving into Friday's games, you had a handful of games. Valor Christian actually played an out-of-state game, and they won 30-27 to behind Gavin Sawchuk, the number one recruit in the state of Colorado, going for 242 yards and four touchdowns on 31 carries. So, that's going to continue to be the game plan for Valor. Hand the rock off to your best player and see how that goes. There was also another out-of-state game where Smoky Hill went down to Florida to face off against Windermere, and they actually had a very solid game, Smoky Hill being a pleasant surprise this year at 2-0, and I think part of that has to do with their running back here, who is Marvin Jones the third. He had 103 yards and two scores in this game, as well as adding on one reception for 35 yards and a score. So, Three touchdowns from Marvin Jones this game. And, you know, they actually had a lot of tackles for loss. They had 15 tackles for loss, including uh, Little John here, the junior, who had five by himself, as well as Isaac Withers, who's also a junior, who had three tackles for loss. And they racked up five sacks. So they bullied this Florida team. And, you know, that is a, another case. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just talk about it now. Colorado teams, at least as far as our research shows, 
are 9-2 against out-of-state teams. You had Dakota Ridge beat First Coast last week. You had Lutheran, uh, uh, First Coast being a Florida team. You had Lutheran beat a Missouri team named Lutheran last week. You had Fort Morgan beat Scottsbluff, who is a team from Nebraska. You had Yuma beat a Wyoming team in Burns. You had Valor Christian this week beat Oaks Christian, who is a California team. Smoky Hill beat that Windermere team in Florida. Durango beat Aztec, who's a New Mexico team. Ralston Valley beat a Florida team in uh, Freedom. Ignacio beat Newcomb, which I believe is a New Mexico team, 52-0. Ray, who is one of the better, better one or two A teams, beat the Goodland Cowboys, who are a Kansas team, 30 to nothing. So not only are Colorado teams winning these games, they're winning them by pretty significant margins with the only losses being Montezuma Cortez losing kind of a close game to Aztec and Trinidad losing to Rayton, who I talked about a lot earlier in this episode. But this is exactly what Colorado football needs is to get these out-of-state games in line and win them. And there's a massive, massive, massive out-of-state game Coming up this week where Cherry Creek is traveling down to Arizona to face off against Chandler, who is a perennial powerhouse down in Arizona football. And Arizona football hits it a little bit different. They've become a very high-profile quarterback state within the last 10 to 15 years. You've had guys like Spencer Rattler and JD come out of there, Bryce Petty, all of those guys who went on to play Power 5 football. And Chandler is going to be a very big challenge for this Cherry Creek team. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to this game. And, you know, if you're a Colorado football fan, we've talked about it in the past. You should probably be rooting for Cherry Creek in this in this game to go make some noise. You know, Cherry Creek had a nice 31-0 cruising win against one of the top 5A teams here in Colorado. And I think that they're looking at the national picture. They go to Chandler, who is 1-0. They beat Centennial 28-7. And so, go Cherry Creek. You know, this... This upcoming Friday night, that'll be at 7 p.m. Make sure to tune into that game. That is going to be absolutely massive as far as determining where Colorado football is really to some of the best teams in the entire country with this Chandler game. I digress. You know, sorry, I had to talk about that quite a bit, but I digress. Going back to Colorado football, you had, like I said, Cherry Creek beat Pomona. Christian Hammond is the starting quarterback and looks to be starting against Chandler this next week. And their defense has been just as dominant. They didn't score as many points as they did against Doherty. Pomona, I think, is a bit better of a team. But Pomona has a lot more offense, so to shut down that Pomona offense that has Chase Muller in the backfield is a, definitely a big statement from this Cherry Creek team that looks to be solid on all three levels once again this year. And so, like I said, they will be traveling to Arizona and playing Chandler this next week. Please tune into that game. Talking about one of our other contenders that we had, Fairview actually dropped a game this week in Castleview. And I'm going to give huge props to Castleview here where Mark Westbecker had one of the best games of his life. He was such a monster on that Friday night against Fairview. There is no one on Fairview that could stop him. He was a tackling machine for Castleview and racked up, I believe... I want to say close to like eight tackles. It doesn't have the stats listed, but he was flying all over the field. This Castleview defensive line was getting a pretty good push and forcing Beckham to flush out of the pocket or collapsing the pocket quite a few times. And 
He held onto the ball a little too long sometimes, and Fairview didn't really adapt to a quick-hitting game. I also want to shout out to Blake Haggerty here, who, on top of having you know a 34-yard touchdown reception, also got in Beckham's first interception of the season on an overthrow to Grant Page. And Blake is a three-star athlete for a reason, and he played pretty great defense against Grant Page. I got to be completely honest with you. He didn't stop Grant Page because... We all know that that's dang near impossible, but he had some massive pass breakups, especially in one-on-one -on -one coverage. He came up really clutch against Grant Page on 50-50 balls and was able to bat them down. So Blake Haggerty, one of the best games of the week against one of the best players in all of Colorado football. So that between that and Wes Becker running for 151 yards, including the 71-yard dagger in the fourth quarter where... Castleview was up 31-21. to Fairview was trying to get a quick stop, see if they could get one more score in, but it just was not enough. So this Castleview you know, team, after being down 21-10 to to end the first half, their defense strapped down and shut out the Fairview Knights for the entire second half. And you know their offense came to life. They ran hard. And I think that they were just more physical of a football team than Fairview in this second half. Fairview kind of got pushed around quite a bit. And, you know, I think that that's a good test run for how the playoffs are going to be for Fairview and something that, you know, they have film to watch now and they definitely have plenty to learn from it. They had no running game with Zach Lewis, their leading rusher, only getting 18 yards on seven carries. Beckham Kritzer was constantly being torn down in the backfield. Grant Page had one rush for like a first down, which, you know, was a lot bigger in the game than in the box score. But regardless, overall, a very long night for this Fairview team once you get into the second half and uh, once again shout out to Castleview for just being a great physical football team and Blake Haggerty for showing why he is he is also amongst the top recruits in Colorado at this moment talking about some other 5a games you had a really close game here in the legend versus Mullen game legend actually I think fumbles the ball here quite a bit by dropping this game to Mullen they did have a lead for the majority of this game, they were actually up 21 to 10 heading into the fourth quarter. And Mullen had a 15 point fourth quarter to come back and win this game. Thanks a large part to uh, Kyle Krebs. He had 26 carries for 161 yards. So, you know, he was just grinding between the tackles and battering down this legend defense that, you know, is definitely missing some, some players from last year. And, it showed as the game went on and as they started to slow down and get tired and worn out. So, you know, they just death by paper cuts them, you know, and also came in and Mullen made some plays on defense. Mullen, I don't think, is a contender, and so I was really surprised to see Legend drop this game. Colton Warner was not on his stuff this game. He only threw a touchdown and a pick and was not really doing all that much on the ground. Bryce Vaz... It wasn't as explosive. He only had a long of 17 that night. And really, when you're playing with Bryce Vaz, you really want him to have a 40-plus yard run over the course of the night. And he was shut down receiving out of the backfield as well, getting two receptions for zero yards. So this Mullen team really buckled down and came up with a huge win to, you know, kind of keep their season alive this early in the year where, you know, they're not getting into their really hard games yet. Um... And their, their schedule only gets harder, in my opinion, until you get to, like, Arvada West. So, 
Huge win for Mullen here to keep their season alive. They have Regis Jesuit coming up. Legend here, I think, fumbled the bag pretty hard. I think that this was a very winnable game for them and a game that they probably should have won. And they're facing against a very confident Smoky Hill team this Thursday night. So that is a game and team to keep your eyes on. I'm trying to see if there's any other games that I may potentially be missing from this Thursday on the 5A level. You had Grandview handle Mountain Vista 38 to 13. I think that's obviously a game that Grandview, you know, should win in that exact fashion. But being one of our top contenders, it is worth mentioning. I already talked about Creek's big win. And I will probably end this segment talking about my alma mater, Arapahoe High School. Only after briefly mentioning that Regis Jesuit popped back up after that loss to Valor last week, winning 52 to 17 against Highlands Ranch High School. But lastly, in the battle for the milk jug, which is the rivalry trophy between the Littleton Heritage Eagles and, you know, Arapahoe High School, both in LPS, they both share a stadium, which stinks. And in this rivalry game, Arapahoe came out with the dub. Cole Hansen looked really good, going 12 for 17, 233 yards and two scores in this game. Arapahoe did what they always do, you know, getting over seven yards per carry on the ground with Pyrese Miller and DJ Montoya forming a great one-two punch. You had Eckhart here, who had a monster game. He is actually, you know, that 6'2", 180-pound tight end, Charlie who had 120 yards in this game on seven receptions. So you could tell that that offense kind of runs through him a little bit. And Sam Hansen having the next closest with three receptions for 88 yards. So their offense was able to do whatever they wanted. But I think what everyone wants to hear is hear me talk about Jackson Adams. You know, he had three tackles. And Jared Ramos, you know, the two three-star prospects on this Arapo team. I knew that they were going to dominate and have a great game against this Heritage team, being that they're bad and foray so this is a game that arapo was supposed to win 42 to nothing ramos here had two tackles for loss and then jackson adams had two sacks and jerob had one so they once again combined for three sacks two tackles for loss and overall i believe five tackles total and you know that's not even to disrespect some other guys who showed up here like bo dowdy who had one and a half sacks. Exodus Johnson, that big defensive tackle in the middle, got a half a sack as well as a hurry. And then you also had a Samuel Ballas, who had four tackles, including one for loss. So everyone got a piece of this Heritage team. And this Arapo team won the way that they were supposed to, and they still have the milk jug, you know. So Heritage, they just weren't able to compete against the fireworks on the offensive side of the ball, and their offense was completely suffocated and snuffed out by one of the top defenses in the entire state of Colorado with Arapahoe High School. We are now here near the end of the episode, and so I'm going to talk about my players of the week. Starting at the 1A level, you had Miles Sprague from Holyoke, who really did it all this week. He had a rushing touchdown, a rushing two-point conversion, a receiving touchdown from his younger brother, and a blocked punt in this game in Holyoke's opening game against Rye, who did beat Manitou Springs in a very close game. So I think Rye isn't a pushover team, but Holyoke certainly made them look like one behind a very massive performance from Miles Sprague. 
On the 2A level, I am going to talk about Kanan Padilla, who is my choice to get the 2A player of the week. I think that there's a lot of great names to talk about on this level. You had Eddie Lemos for Resurrection Christian. You had Sam Sherry out of Basalt High School, who really did it all. But I think I I most liked Kanan Padilla's performance here against the defending state champions. He was on both sides of the ball, making a lot of plays. As far as defense goes, like I mentioned a lot earlier, he did have a forced fumble as well as a pass deflection. So he was able to do it in the pass and run game. He had seven total tackles, which was second best on the team right behind Jack Virgil. Then he also had a receiving touchdown as well as a rushing touchdown and an 18.7 yards per carry average on the offensive side of the ball. So lots of great performances from lots of players. Greg Garza was also in the conversation for this university team, as well as just a lot of people who had very dominant games on this 2A level. There was plenty to like. A lot of players from Eaton could have ended up on here, but I decided to go with the university here. They're a program that's recovering from a really rough last season, I'd say. And Canon Padilla had a very massive game against the defending state champs. So that is my 2A player of the week. On the 3A level out of Glenwood Springs High School, I'm going to go with Teddy Huttenhauer, the linebacker for Glenwood Springs, who had 18 tackles in this game against Rifle, including three for loss. And in a game that you only win 14 to 6, every single tackle counts, every single push counts. He flew all over the field and was everywhere for this Glenwood Springs team in a very close game. I think that there were definitely people on the 3A level who gave a lot better, I guess I should say, statistical performances. But I think as far as close games and being a clutch performer, Teddy Huttenhauer was one of those guys. And if it wasn't for him, then it would probably be the receiver for this Glenwood Springs team. And speaking of clutch performances, my 4A player of the week and probably just my player of the week in general is going to be Keegan Patterson for Longmont High School. It was against Broomfield. This is a huge game against one of the contenders in the state, in my opinion. And he ran all over this defense for 108 yards and three touchdowns. Not to mention he had a much better uh, week this week passing the ball, going 26 for 36 for two TDs to one interception. So he's starting to fix that ratio a little bit more, cut down on the mistakes, threw for a lot of yards, found Caleb Johnson open a bunch of times, and overall just looked, he looked like he was moving in fast motion compared to this Longmont defense whenever he took off running with the ball. He was completely unstoppable and massive to this Longmont 38-29 to win on the 4A level. And then last but certainly not least, the 5A player of the week is Chaparral quarterback Kylan Wilson going 6-for-9 for 133 passing yards and a touchdown with also an interception. However, it was his running efforts where he ran for 173 yards and four TDs on 22 carries. Once again, a lot like Keegan here, just looking hilariously more athletic than the entire Rock Canyon defense. I wish that he didn't take his foot off the gas in that fourth quarter as well as the rest of the Chaparral offense, but all is forgiven when you have the game-winning rushing touchdown for this team and your fourth touchdown of the fourth rushing touchdown of the night and five total touchdowns so it's really hard I try not to always give it to quarterbacks 
But when you have quarterbacks that take over a game like this and they win big games against solid teams and they stave off a comeback the way that Kylan Wilson did and clutch it in overtime or, you know, you're the reason for beating one of the top teams in the state like Keegan Patterson, who had a five touchdown game himself, that is how you win player of the week as a quarterback is you just have a dominant game against a good team and you pull out a close game and you come up clutch. That is my advice to quarterbacks who want to be on these lists in the future. But that is all of my players for the week. I've already talked a lot about, you know, the one, two, three, four, and five A levels. Thank you so much for tuning in to this recap. We will try and get you recaps every Monday or Tuesday. Please make sure that your coaches are putting in stats. It really helps us out and talk about y'all's teams a lot more. And we'll be going to more football games and having more live reactions. But until then, I have been your co-host, Cody Stoffer. And I was also joined here by Simon Villanos. And make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor. Make sure to subscribe so that you are alerted anytime we have an episode come out. If you're still confused on that, find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Big shout out to the people who follow us on TikTok. We just passed 2,000 followers. We see your requests. We're still coming out with more TikTok. So thank you so much for that. And until next time, peace.